Welcome in to Outkick the Show. Uh, I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Show. I've been on the road. I know a ton. I think this is our first show of the week. I'm going up to Milwaukee on late Monday night for the Republican primary uh, debate there. Also, we're doing a big event at the Pabst Theater in Milwaukee. Uh, there are lots of uh, seats there. It's going to be fun. Tuesday night, the night before the Republican primary uh, debate on Wednesday. I think you guys are really going to enjoy being a part of it. Uh, I hope that, uh, that you guys are able to come if you're in the Milwaukee area, if you're in Wisconsin. But I want to thank everybody. This book standing beside me right now, American Playbook, is the best-selling nonfiction book in America for the week launch. We are number one on Publishers Weekly. They go and they look at the total number of books sold. I've always wanted to have a number one bestseller, and now I do have a number one bestseller. We sold more nonfiction books than any book sold in all of America last week. That's a credit to you guys. Thanks to everybody who came out in New York City, Cleveland, Salt Lake City, Houston, Nashville. We got Milwaukee coming up. Uh, so much fun. So much incredible fun. Tampa as well. Uh, forgot Tampa. I've been on the road a lot. It's been super busy, but I have gotten to meet so many of you, and I can't believe how fantastic that has been. Thank you to everybody who came out, and thank you to all of you who have bought copies of this. Uh, I think we sold right at 16,000 copies. That's 5,000 more I believe, than any other nonfiction book in America last week. So it wasn't just that we were number one. We were number one by a lot. Um, and that doesn't count ebooks, of which we sold a ton, and audio. Because a lot of you, I know you, you're lazy, uh, and you're not readers, and you are instead, and I get it, I talk for a living. So some of you uh, are listening to me uh, talk through and read through this entire book. But I can't say thanks enough. We're also number two on the Wall Street Journal list of, of nonfiction. Even though we sold the, mo the most, I'll take number two. But think, th think about this. New York Times didn't put us in the top 15. We outsold some of the books that are listed in the New York Times list by 15,000 copies. They put books on the New York Times bestseller list that only sold 1,000. Uh, I've got the numbers right here. We outsold the number one book on the nonfiction list on the New York Times list by 5,000 copies. We doubled the number two best-selling book on the New York Times list. We doubled the number three best-selling book on the New York Times list. We 5X'd the number four book. The number six book on the New York Times bestseller list, we outsold eight to one. The number 10 book on the New York Times list, we outsold 14 to one. Dishonesty seems to be the coin of the realm of the New York Times. I would love to hear somebody at the New York Times explain why the best-selling book in America didn't make their top 15 best-selling nonfiction books. You can just look at the data. It's out there. Publishers Weekly, number one, most so sold, 
Wall Street Journal had us at number two. Okay, your algorithm's a little bit different. I'll take it, even though the Wall Street Journal's wrong. USA Today. USA Today doesn't uh, differentiate between fiction and nonfiction. They had us in the top 10 for fiction and nonfiction. Okay, I'll take it. Again, underrated, but we'll take it. New York Times doesn't put us in the top 15. There's lies, and there's lies that New York Times tell. And you can say, why does it matter? It matters because I like to be in the front of every bookstore in America because I want as many people as possible exposed to this idea. I I said before, I'm donating all the proceeds from this book. I'm fortunate. I've written books before where I needed the money from the book. I don't need the money for the book. I want these ideas out there. And that's why I'm so gratified that we are the number one best-selling nonfiction book in America. But I want as many of these copies out there widely distributed as possible. But thank you to everybody who came out. Thank you for making this the number one best-selling book in America. That's important because the ideas in this book are very important. All right. A lot of ideas to get into. You can still go get your copies. You can get your autographed copies. They're available. I think you can get them at clayandbuck.com. You can get them at outkick.com if you want autographed copies. Yes, I have signed them. I have signed thousands of these things. Uh, I've enjoyed meeting you guys all over the country, and I'm sure we're going to be doing events uh, more so from here as well. But uh, a couple of different things here that, uh, that, that I want to get into. News broke in the last hour and a half or so that Donald Trump is not going to debate in Milwaukee next week. By the way, I saw Trump yesterday. Uh, He was here in Nashville. Uh, It was good to see him. He was doing a fundraiser. Kid Rock and uh, Kid Rock opened for him. And uh, and, and it was cool uh, to to see that crew. It was good to see Trump. Uh, But I asked the question, the reports are from the New York Times that, uh, that Donald Trump is going to do an interview with Tucker Carlson, presumably on Twitter, instead of actually being involved in the uh, the race itself and uh, in the the primary uh, debate. And I asked the question, good move or bad move, an hour ago, 27,000 of you have voted so far, tons of responses, lots of arguments going back and forth, as as well there should be. 69% of you, Kids will like that. 69% of you said it's a good move. 31% of you said it's a bad move uh, for Trump to skip the Republican primary debate in Milwaukee. Uh, By the way, the only thing I would say, uh, I would say there's two things that I would analyze. One, the state of Wisconsin, if you told me you can know one state you're, Clay, you get the opportunity to know the results of one state in 2024. And from that knowledge, you can then extrapolate what is going to happen in the 2024 presidential election. I would pick the state of Wisconsin. Because I think whichever candidate wins Wisconsin is going to win the 2024 election. No matter who the Republican nominee is, no matter who the uh, Democrat nominee is, you tell me who's going to win Wisconsin, I will tell you who the next president of the United States is. That is the number one state I would rank. So we've got the Republican National Convention next year, which is taking place in Milwaukee. I think that's a good sign. If I am a Republican, I want to be in front of as many people as I can in Milwaukee because that race is going to be on a razor's edge in the state of Wisconsin. And so that's what I would say in general 
uh, in terms of trying to think about the value there. So I would say whether you're Trump, whether you're DeSantis, whether you're Vivek Ramaswamy, whoever you are, there is a real advantage to being in front of the media in Milwaukee because what happens in Wisconsin is likely to determine what happens in the 2024 election. Second part of this, my only concern with Trump not debating, and and I don't disagree with the decision. I think Trump has got a 40 or 50 point lead according to all the primaries that are out there right now. I understand his perspective on, I don't even need to debate right now, okay? But I don't want Joe Biden to be able to avoid getting uh, into debates by saying, oh, you didn't debate in the Republican primary, and so I don't need to debate in the general. And I can see him making the argument, oh, well, Trump himself didn't debate, in the Republican debate, and I do think Biden should, for instance, debate uh, RFK Jr. And so I think it opens up that avenue of attack where you could say, well, when you look at that, Biden now is going to argue that he doesn't have to debate. Um, And also, we had a caller who brought this up on Clay and Buck, and I don't think it's a bad argument. Doing an interview with Tucker at the exact same time as the Republican debate is going on, it does create an opportunity. Like a lot of people are, I put myself in this category. I would like to watch the Republican debate and I would also like to watch Tucker interview Trump. So I would like to be able to consume both of those things. Now I can. I can record one or go back and watch the other. I'll watch the Republican debate live and then I'll go back and watch Trump on Tucker. But I do think that there are a lot of people out there who are big Trump supporters that also want to see the debate and look at the other cadre of potential candidates if for no other reason than to contemplate who they might think makes sense to be the VP or to be in Trump's cabinet or to make a decision. Because about half Republicans like Trump right now, about half like somebody else. So I do think that is an interesting point of discussion. I can see that argument. Uh, But I'll be watching both. Uh, And I do think Trump has developed a big enough lead where he can legitimately say, hey, I don't have to do this. Um, I'm in a a different category. I'm in a different perspective going uh, forward. All right. Uh, So that is that. Let me also tell you this. I just talked about this on Clay and Buck. I think there are five candidates right now that have created uh, an opportunity for themselves to be included in the Clay Travis outkick the show Republican primary power ratings. This is the way that I would rank them right now. Trump is clearly one. Clearly, Trump is number one overall in the Republican primary power rankings. I think DeSantis is holding on to two, but there is a big gap between Trump and number two. And then Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, I have got it third, and he is surging. I don't think there's any doubt that he is surging and that he has moved into the third spot in the Republican primary rankings. Four, I would have Tim Scott. And five, I would have Chris Christie. So far, I think everybody else has no business actually being in this primary because I haven't seen any sign that they can win, that they can win one of the early states, either Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada. 
That means Nikki Haley. That means Mike Pence. That means Doug Burgum. That means uh, Larry Elder. That means Will Hurd. All of these guys, and I don't even know, the mayor of uh, Miami, all of those guys, and they don't have that high of a percentage of support, all of those guys and the gal with uh, Nikki Haley, I haven't seen any sign. Doesn't mean they can't surge, although they would have to do it, get on the stage. If you didn't make the stage, you should drop out of the race. Because if you didn't make it on the stage in August, you're probably not going to make it on the stage in September. So, but the oh, my five are the only five that I have seen. And I thought, okay, I can see an argument for how they end up winning one of the first four primaries. In order, Trump, DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, and Chris Christie. And some of you are going to say, Chris Christie, what are you talking about, Clay? He's actually second place right now in some polling in New Hampshire. So I can see an argument that Chris Christie could win New Hampshire. I can see an argument that Tim Scott could win South Carolina. I could see an argument that Vivek, who is catching fire right now, could have a chance to win one of those primaries. And certainly, Ron DeSantis is putting a lot of focus and effort and energy into Iowa. I can see an argument that DeSantis could actually be able to win Iowa. So, those are the five. I haven't seen anything else. To me, by September, I think there should only be five uh, at minimum still involved in the Republican race. And after that September debate, even if Trump doesn't go, there might only be four or five people on the stage, I think people should start to withdraw. I don't anticipate that they will because I think most people are going to say, well, let me go ahead and roll the dice and see how I do in Iowa and New Hampshire and uh, South Carolina and Nevada, that first four. I think you'll start to see people drop out as that progresses. But so far, my power five, I haven't seen anything to suggest that anybody else is likely to move into that power five. Um, Okay, Uh, Trump legal analysis. Everybody has spent an inordinate amount of time analyzing what's going on in New York City, in Washington, D.C., in Atlanta, and in South Florida. The four different felony situations that have been brought against Trump. I only think New York is going to end up being tried before the 2024 election. I think there's a good chance New York, which is already settled and and, and set for March, it's the least significant of the legal hurdles for Trump. I think that's the most likely case to be completed in some way. I think it's going to be very difficult to get South Florida done. I think it's going to be very difficult to get uh, the, uh, the federal case in D.C. done. And I think there's no chance that the Atlanta case is going to be done at all. What is the analysis there? To me, we just talked about this on Clay and Buck. To me, what a true statesman-like outcome would be. I, you've heard me ask every Republican candidate, hey, would you pardon Donald Trump? I think on principle... It is the right decision to pardon Donald Trump from all federal charges. And frankly, I don't think state charges should have been brought either in New York City or in Atlanta, either in New York State or in Georgia. I'll take the next step, though, and I haven't heard anybody else say this. Not only do I believe that Donald Trump should be pardoned, I think that Hunter Biden and the Biden crime family should be pardoned, too. Okay, some of you are like, Yes on Trump. And you just said, wait a minute, Clay. What are you talking about 
with the Biden crime family being pardoned. I think it's important to stand on principle. Okay? I think Hunter Biden has committed a bevy of felonies. I think he has been protected. I think Joe Biden sold the Biden family enterprise. And I think the Biden family engaged in criminal behavior across the board too. But we are in an incredibly divided time in America. The pardon power, to me, should represent an opportunity like what happened when Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. Instead of putting the country through years of charges surrounding Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford put country first and pardoned Richard Nixon. It cost him the 1976 election. Jimmy Carter won, but it ended the Watergate era. I think that the best way to end what I believe is an awful precedent of trying to put political enemies in prison is to end all of these charges on both sides. So if I were running for president right now, if I were running for president, I give Buck Sexton credit. We had a really good discussion about this on Clay and Buck. I would pardon not only Donald Trump, I would pardon everybody associated with the Biden crime family too. And I would in one fell swoop, in one fell swoop, I think that would go a long way towards helping to restore a sense of normalcy to the country. Because I think the precedent of trying to put your political enemies in prison is everything that the United States should not represent. And I think that Joe Biden, who ran on the position, I would say whether it's Joe Biden or whoever is in office in 2024, if you truly were caring about being a statesman and leading the majority of the country as opposed to just your political party, you make decisions that benefit the entire country on both sides of the divide. The right choice is to pardon not only Donald Trump, but also the Biden crime family and just sweep it to the side and say, now that that's out of the way, let's actually resolve political issues in this country based on arguments as opposed to trying to put political enemies in prison for the rest of their life. That to me. Now, I understand. Look, my position has been, if you're going to throw the book at Donald Trump, you should also be throwing the proverbial book at Joe Biden, and the Biden crime family. I understand if you are a absolutely didactic, hardcore, we have to hold everybody accountable kind of judge. But you have to apply that precedent consistently. And the reason why I've been so focused on the Trump pardon idea is because you have to have principle over politics. Stand for principle because the political realities are constantly shifting. I've talked about this before. You read this book. I am a First Amendment absolutist. I am always going to defend the First Amendment. That means whether Republicans are defending the First Amendment or Democrats are defending the First Amendment, you have to stand on principle. 20 years ago, Bill Maher got fired 22 years ago because he said the people who flew the buildings into uh, in 9-11 were not cowards. He's right. If you're willing to die for a belief, I don't believe you are a coward. You can be a horrible person. You can be a 
sinner to the utmost degree. But the use of coward when you are willing to give your life for something, that by definition is not cowardice. Bill Maher got fired for that opinion. He lost his show, which was called politically incorrect. That's because Republicans in the wake of 9-11 wouldn't allow Bill Maher to have that opinion and they canceled him. I disagreed with it. I believe in the marketplace of ideas. I think you should be able to have an opinion that I disagree with and I think I should be able to have an opinion that you disagree with and I think we should be able to debate it and guess what? I think all of us should be able to make a living. That's how the marketplace of ideas works. I write about it a lot in this book, American Playbook. But if you're just relying on political parties, political party might change. In another generation, it might be the Republican Party that has power and has power over big tech. And they might be trying to classify things that they disagree with as misinformation. And they might be trying to cancel people that have opinions that they disagree with and keep people from being able to still be fully able to say what they want to argue in the marketplace of ideas. Principle over politics. Principle over politics would say Biden crime family and Trump, let's wipe it all out. Nobody's going to prison. Let's have a real debate on what we stand for and where this country should go. That would be my position. I would encourage anybody out there on the Republican side of the, uh, of the ledger to make that argument. Because I do think it would be good for the country. I think there are lots of independents that would agree. And I think it's time to start standing on principle over politics. Speaking of principle over politics, I hope you go back and you listen to the interview that I just did with Sage Steele. I know Sage did a good interview with Megyn Kelly. I like Megan too. I'd encourage you to check out Megyn Kelly's interview with Sage. But Sage was just on with us in the third hour of the Clay and Buck show. She's phenomenal. She's left ESPN. She was willing to stand on principle and stand for what she believes in. And ESPN fired her because she's a conservative voice. And I don't even think Sage is that conservative, right? This is what's always crazy about it. Only in the last few years has it been considered a conservative opinion to say, hey, your race shouldn't define what you believe. Hey, you are not defined by your gender or by your sexuality. I think that oftentimes your race, your gender, your sexuality are some of the least interesting things about yourself. Because in many ways, you aren't really making a choice, right? You're born that way. I didn't choose to be a straight white guy. To me, the fact that I am a straight white guy is the least interesting part about me because it wasn't any kind of choice that I made. Similarly, I think that your race and your gender and your sexuality, for the most part, all of it's set. You don't choose it. When I say for the most part, I mean for purposes of sexuality, I think you really are born gay or straight. I, you can disagree with it. I don't think most people make a calculated decision. Oh, I'm going to be gay today or oh, I'm going to be straight today. I think you're born like I was born. White, male, straight. Never made a conscious decision to like girls. Just like a lot of you didn't make a conscious decision to be attracted to what you're attracted to. Those are uninteresting. I'm born that way. 
So if you believe that, why have we allowed that to define what you then are required to believe? America is a far better country if all of us focus more on the choices we make, which actually is what makes us interesting. Not the identities that we are born with. And what the Democrat Party and identity politics in general and the left in particular in this country now believes is your race, your gender, and your sexuality define you. If that's true, then you are defined as an individual before you are even born. I find it profoundly uninteresting that you would be defined by choices you never made and that they box you into what you have to believe for the rest of your life. And I think most Americans agree with me. Gay, straight, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, male, female. And that to me is a big part of the argument that I make in this book, American Playbook, but it's also an argument that Sage Steele is making. And I would encourage you to go listen to the interview that I did with her. It'll be up on the podcast. I think you guys will really enjoy it. And uh, I wish Sage well as she now is out free and able to speak out. But I do think Sage's experience at ESPN is interesting in particular for this reason. We have created a world that is very left-wing in nature. If Sage Steele had super left-wing opinions, if she believed that men who identify as women are the greatest women's athletes of all time, if she believed that kindergartners should be taught about sex-related issues, if she believed that it was brave to have an abortion in the ninth month of pregnancy, and all of those things, for instance, she was outspoken about, she would still be employed at ESPN, and if she had said everybody in the country needs to be forced to get the COVID shot, she probably would have gotten promoted. It's one thing to say, hey, this company is focused on sports, which is what ESPN used to say. Now ESPN is focused on only left-wing sports. What does it say about the direction of our country that you can be forced out of your job if you have the wrong opinion on issues that have nothing to do, by and large, with your job on a day-to-day basis? And what does it say that the largest sports media company in the country right now believes that men who pretend to be women and win women's championships are heroes and that if you don't believe that, you are a bigot and you can't work at that company anymore? I'm excited to see what Sage is capable of out on her own in the real world where guess what? Most sports fans are going to agree with her and they're going to judge her based on the content of her opinions, the content of her character, and not the color of her skin. And I look forward to checking out what Sage is going to be able to accomplish, but I encourage you to all go listen to our discussion at Clay and Buck. And I look forward to hanging out with you guys on Monday. Tuesday, I'm going to be up in Milwaukee, and I look forward to hanging out with many of you up there as well. Then we're going to New York City. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. I think they put out a press release today. I'm going to be involved in Big Noon. I can't wait for college football. It's a busy time of year. 
but this is my favorite time of year. We'll have a lot of college football and NFL talk in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, but I hope all of you have fabulous weekends. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. Thanks for making this the best-selling book in America. If you haven't already, go listen or go buy it. I think you'll enjoy it. This has been OutKick, the show. 